0: What is the formula for success? What's the formula for success? Now, if you were here on our Christmas Day service, we actually did something a little different. We were in the circle and we had different people share. And I enjoyed that so much, hearing from different people that right now I'm just going to call a few people and just ask you what you think the formula for success is. I'm not going to do that. Some of you are about to like get out of go to the bathroom, grab your stuff, leave. I'm not going to do that. But if we were to just anonymously say, "Hey, send in a text message, write down real quick what you think the formula for success is anonymously and we could look at all of those, what the what are the chances that we would get the same answer for everyone?" How likely do you think it is that everyone would write in and say, this is the formula for success? Probably there would be a a 0% chance of that happening. Given our setting, I think a lot of people would answer it in a spiritual sense. Oh, well, if we want to talk about success, it's going to be because we're in a church. Let's talk about the spiritual version of success. But probably not necessarily. We would probably have some other answers, some other ways of looking at it. But this idea of success, of of finding that answer, is so difficult. Because if I ask, What is the formula for success? there's another question that is raised. And what's that question? What is success? Let's define it. What what exactly is the goal that we're trying to attain? Our culture surrounds us with all of these billboards, all of these commercials, all of these books, all of these values that say this is the definition of success. This is what you need to strive for. And we can go after that. But with all of these different definitions, we're going to have a lot of different answers when it comes to what is the formula for success. But let's say for the sake of argument, we can all arrive at a consensus. We all agree in this room, okay, this thing, that is success. If we attain this, we would be successful. How likely do you still think it is that everyone would give the same formula to arrive there? still really low we can look around us there's lots of organizations that have the same goals and yet how they go about accomplishing those things varies dramatically right now Ted Boykin came up and he prayed wearing a Giants jersey (laughs) well in the football all of them they all have the same goal they want to win the Super Bowl and yet you would look at those teams and say wow the way that your formula on how you're going to arrive at success varies dramatically. Businesses and organizations, if I were to ask any of you about your job and and then ask you about maybe a competitor, you would tell me about how your competitor, even though it has similar goals, does things in a very different way. We could think about fitness. Right now, at the beginning of the year, I think the the amount of people going to the gym has skyrocketed, right, with New Year's resolutions. If we were to go down to Brown's Gym and walk in, we would see lots of people who have all the same goal of becoming more fit. And yet what they are doing, how they are going about it, would be dramatically different. Just because people have a similar goal does not mean they are going to have similar formulas, So you see the question, what is the formula for success, is going to produce lots of different answers because there's lots of different goals and lots of different methods. Here's the danger. With so many answers, with so many goals, with so many ways in which to do this, it can be really hard to know what the right formula is. So many of the solutions seem plausible. So many of them seem logical. What do we do? Do we follow someone else's formula? Do we read all their books, listen to everything they've ever said, model our lives after theirs? Some people do. Do we come up, up with our own formula, kind of look at things and come up and say, well, this is going to be, this is my goal, this is my formula on how to accomplish it? Many others do that. With so many formulas out there, it's hard not to conclude it's all relative. Do what works for you. Establish your goal. Establish your way of accomplishing it. But that's not the way to find success. In fact, there is a formula for success. And in the book of Colossians, not only is Paul going to define success for us, He also gives us the formula on how it's achieved. As Roger already told us at the beginning of the service, this is our first message in the book of Colossians. Our normal practice here is to work verse by verse through different books of the Bible. Uh, Last year we finished up the Gospel of John and now we're moving into Colossians. And normally we would spend our time looking at smaller sections within the book sequentially. But for our first message today, we're actually going to be looking at the whole book. We're going to zoom out and see, uh, do an overview of the whole thing. Why are we doing that? Well, each book of the Bible has a specific Purpose. God intended that book as the Holy Spirit carried human authors along. It has, it fits a place within the Bible. At the end of last year, when we finished John, the point of John was these things are written so that you may believe. As we went through the Gospel of John, we kept seeing that theme. Over and over, John picked what stories, what miracles, what signs he would share because they all pointed to who Jesus was and the response that we must have according to who he was. Our goal this morning is to do that for Colossians, it's to do that 40,000 foot view, it's to see the big picture. We want to understand the purpose of Paul's writing. We want to grasp Paul's overarching argument. Then, after we've done that, in the next few months, as we go back, we're going to go back and go bit by bit through the book. So, what are we going to do this morning? Well, you can't always do this, but thankfully, Colossians is a short book. So we're going to read the whole book. One of the things that that you can't always do, we couldn't do that with the Gospel of John, but with only four chapters, it's something for us to to read through. Imagine if the first recipients of the letter, Paul sends it to them, and and, and the pastor gets up and he's like, guys, we got a letter from the Apostle Paul. We are so excited about this. This morning we're going to look at the first five verses, come back next week. We'll look at the next section. They wouldn't do that. It's a letter. They're going to read through the whole letter. Most likely after reading it, they then spent time meditating on it, going back over it. But right now, we want to see the big picture. So as we are doing that, though, we're going to take different times to pause and in order to highlight the structure and flow of Paul's argument. Now, just before I I jump into it, I want to give just a few um, things, just to, to call things to your attention. First... This is an overview. There's going to be things that we're reading that you might be like, I'm not sure I understand that. Wait, what what is Paul saying here? And there's a good chance I'm not going to address your question in that moment. That's not because I'm avoiding the question. It just means that right now we're looking at big picture. Come back with that question. Talk to us because later when we go verse by verse, there's a high chance that we will actually address that question. Second, you have the whole book printed out in front of you. There's probably pens in the front, uh, chairs in front of you. As we are reading, I want you to go ahead and highlight something. It, you don't have to be militant on, on this and think, man, if I miss one, Steven's going to be really angry. I'm not going to look at it. Just try to underline every reference to Christ. Whether it's a personal pronoun, just a regular pronoun, whether it's a title As we are reading through, you're going to see that Christ is everywhere in this book. And you'll see that, you'll recognize that more as we are reading if you just underline some of those things. Third, for some of you who uh, look at, okay, well, Pastor Stephen's here in the book and we still have that much. Let me just go ahead and tell you the first half we're going to spend a lot more time on. So if it's, not, it's not all equal where each chapter is going to take us the same amount of time. So if you're looking at the time and you're thinking, there's no way he's going to do these, the last two chapters in that much time. I probably won't. But we're going to speed up as we go. So with all of those things being said, let's get started. Let's see what Paul shows us is the formula for success. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, what kind of book is Colossians? What, not, you can tell me the biblical term or you can just even tell me what it, we would call it in today's terms. It's a, it's a letter. Now, when you are writing a letter, you need, there's two things. There's the person who wrote it and there's the person who receives it okay so who's writing this letter it's paul paul an apostle he's not one of the original 12 he his encounter with christ seeing jesus believing in jesus happened later paul was someone before named saul he was a persecutor of the church he hated christians The first martyr that we're told about in the Bible, Stephen, Paul, or Saul, was there when that happened. But Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that changed everything. Instead of persecuting Christ and the church, where Jesus said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul then gave his life, gave everything for Christ and the church. We also know, and we're going to see this more in chapter 4, when we get to chapter 4, that Paul is in a place as he's writing this letter. The place he's in is prison. He says, on account of which I am in prison. The last verse of the, of the book of Colossians says, remember my chains. So Paul is, is far away. He's writing to these people while he's in prison. Who is Paul writing to? Well, it says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, what, what's the other way? What would we call someone instead of we don't normally say, "Ah, oh, good to see you, Saint." Uh, sometimes we say, "Good to see you, brother." What, what do we what do we call those people? They're Christians. They're believers. Already we're seeing a, a difference in the purpose of this book compared to the purpose of John because John's not written to believers. John's written to. Unbelievers. Obviously, it's helpful for believers to read it. I think all of us were edified in going through the Gospel of John. But Paul wrote, so that you might believe. That's not Paul's purpose. Paul is writing to those who are already believers. What's interesting, though, and we'll see this more even in the next verses and in chapter 2, though, is that these are people that Paul has never met. He's never been to Colossae. He's never, he didn't plant this church. He tells them later in chapter 2, and for all of those who I have not seen face to face. Most likely, the, this group of believers, this church in Colossae, came as a result of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Ephesus is about 120 miles away from Colossae. They're both in Asia. And in Acts 19, it tells us that Paul spent two years in Ephesus and this is what it says this is what happened while he, during his ministry uh, Acts 19 verse 8 and he entered into the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God then verse 10 this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks and we'll see in verse 7 that these Colossians heard about the gospel from Epaphras. Someone else has brought them this good news of the gospel and they have believed it. And now Paul has heard more news from them and so he's going to write them a letter. So let's see. We've seen who's writing. We've seen who's reading. But let's see more about them. Let's see what kind of letter this is. Let's look at verses 3 through 8. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. If you're underlining the Christ Jesus, we've already had a lot of them here. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel In writing to the Colossians, is this something that's condemning? Is it something correcting? No, it's encouraging. He's confident in certain things. This again shows us that the purpose of this book is slightly different from other books where we see that Paul writes to certain churches and he says, what are you doing? What's going on? The things that are happening in the church should never be. But that's not the case with the Colossians. Paul is encouraged. Why is he encouraged? Because they're growing. Because they're they're being built up. Look at at these two things. One of the things he says is that they are producing fruit and increasing. And I want you to take notice of both of those things as they are themes we are going to see a lot in this letter. It's the theme of growth and results. It's increasing and producing fruit Paul is encouraged and he's encouraging the Colossian church but now let's move on because in this introduction these first 14 verses now Paul is going to give us a little bit more of a hint of why he's writing verse 9 and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In this paragraph, Paul introduces all of the pieces of the formula for success. That question at the beginning, what is the formula For success, Paul in this paragraph introduces the pieces, and there's three parts to it. He does that by telling the Colossians, this is what I'm praying for. The first thing, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The second thing, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What is Paul saying? I want you to grow in God and walk worthy of God. Those are the two first parts that he talks about as far as the formula for success. You need to grow in God. You need to walk worthy of God. Right after he shows those two, he then repeats both elements, but he sweeps the order. He says, Bearing fruit in every good work, that would be walking worthy. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Growing. Those are two of the elements of the formula. But then he gives the first and most important. How? How does this happen? He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul is making it clear the only way they will grow and walk worthy is through God and his power. And the wonderful news is that they've already seen his power because he delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son. The only reason they can grow and walk worthy, the only means is because of the work of Christ, because of his strength, because of his redemption, because their sins have been forgiven in Christ. Already are you seeing Paul making a connection over and over and over again. It all comes back to Christ. If, If you were to think of like a wagon wheel or a bicycle wheel, all of the spokes come back to the same thing. It all comes back to Jesus. if we could synthesize the formula that Paul is giving to the Colossians it's this and if you're someone that writes things down try try to write this down i'll say it a few times cling only to Christ that you might grow in him and walk worthy of him three parts cling only to Christ You need to go and to Christ. He's the only hope. Why? Cling only to Christ that you might grow in him and walk worthy of him. See, all three parts of the formula for success, they all relate to Christ. Cling to Christ. Grow in Christ. Walk worthy of Christ. As we continue through this letter, we're going to see those three parts repeated over and over again. Now, it's great to already have a formula, but what are we lacking? When we talked earlier about formulas for success, what's the other question that is asked? What is success? Great, Paul, you gave us a formula. If you've ever gone through math, math classes, sometimes you have a formula. But if you don't know what that formula is for, you're going to have a hard time using it. You need to understand, no, this is how this formula works. This is the purpose. This is how it actually leads to success. So what is success? Paul shares that with us in the next section. Look at verse 15. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you were trying to underline all the references to Christ, your pen might be smoking. It, there is, You might as well just put a box around the whole thing. There's almost a, a humorous element to, to me in this. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Up, the animated movie. In Up, there's this one dog that is given the ability to speak. And, and he can be talking and he's just going along and, and then he sees something and what's the thing he sees? Squirrel, right? And everything is done. There's almost an element where Paul's going, 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 Christ, Christ! And he just stops everything and just says, let's point to Christ. And and it can feel when we came out of verse 14, okay, he talked a little bit of Christ. Why this hard turn all of a sudden and say, okay, let's take a pause. Let's just have a moment of worship about Christ. But there's actually a purpose. There's a reason that Paul stops, and it's to demonstrate where, how success is defined. Paul gave us the formula. But it's a formula for what? Over and over, Paul tells us who Jesus is. In a lot of ways, it's a synopsis of the gospel of John. This is Jesus. This is who he is. But not only who he is, also what he's done. He's made peace by the blood of his cross. Why does Paul tell us who Jesus is and what he's done? So that the goal might be accomplished. And what's the goal? It's right there in verse 18. Look at verse 18. That in everything, he might be preeminent. That is Paul's definition of success. It is success when in everything, Christ is made preeminent. Now that's not a word we use Often. In fact, the word, um, at least in the Greek, the only time in the Bible is right here. But it's a word that demonstrates position. What position is Christ meant to hold? Preeminent, first, foremost. Everything is about Him. Most important, most glorious, most worthy, most holy. That in everything he might be preeminent. Now, on one side, that's completely set apart from us. Christ already is preeminent. We don't make him preeminent, that's already the position he holds. And yet, there's another side in which we are to recognize his preeminence. When with our lives, we look to Christ and the position that he holds within our lives is a position of preeminence. That is what Paul would count as success in our lives. So for humanity, what is success? When God is glorified. And God is glorified when Christ is preeminent. If the goal is that God be glorified, that Christ be made preeminent, does Paul's formula fit? It does. Christ is preeminent when we cling to Christ, that you might grow in Christ and walk worthy of Christ, that Christ be preeminent in everything. Look at the next paragraph and you who once were alienated and hostile in minds, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Christ reconciled them so that they could walk in a manner worthy. This was Christ's work. Paul is connecting it. This is who Christ is. This is what he's done for you. What are you supposed to do? Respond and make him preeminent. But then we have the first introduction of what Paul is concerned about and is causing him to write. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, See, for Paul, if everything links back to Christ, if all of the spokes of the wheel, if the structure of everything comes back to our relationship with Christ, with the position he holds in our lives, what's the danger? If something would cause us to depart from Christ. I'm not talking about a loss of salvation. But I'm talking about accomplishing our purpose. If Christ is meant to be preeminent in our lives, if that is the goal of why we were created, what will inhibit that from happening if we depart from Christ, if we do other things? And So Paul is warning them, cling to Christ, grow in Christ, walk worthy of Christ, that he be preeminent. Paul then continues and he demonstrates how this has impacted his own life. Verses uh, chapter one twenty four through 2, 5. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Growth. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. How does this happen? It's only through him. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Again, that growth that we may present everyone mature in Christ so that they can walk worthy. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Who is Paul clinging to? Who does he think that this is going, to, is going to cause this thing to happen? Does he look at his own strength and says, I am going to cling to my own strength to accomplish this? No, only through his strength. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is what I want you to know. This is how I want you to grow. These are the things I want you to have a firm foundation on. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. What is Paul, this is the second time that he's starting to address this, what is Paul's concern? I tell you, this is who Christ is. This is your foundation. This is what he's done. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments his concern is that something would take you away from what we need which is christ it's now in the rest of chapter 2 that paul directly confronts the danger it says verse 6 therefore as you received christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done, walk in him. Be rooted in Christ. Be built up in him. Is that not the formula? Cling to Christ. Grow in Christ. Walk worthy of Christ. But then there's the problem. It's not the formula we always follow. How often is that truly the formula that we look at when we do our New Year's resolutions? When we're figuring out what we're going to do in the future? When we're thinking whose strength we're going to rely on? How often is our formula fully based on Christ? Rooted in him. Firmly established. Paul's going to show us two formulas that are are ones that we regularly succumb to. Things that seem plausible, but in reality just cause failure. The first formula is the formula of removing Christ. Mathematically, if we were to, to write this out, it would look something like this. It's less than Jesus. It's taking away from Jesus This is what he says in in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Meaning all of these other things, but what is not in those things? Christ. We're, We're doing something that is apart from him. We're not connected to him. It's less than Christ. How often, this on paper this seems like it would be really easy to recognize, but it's not. The ways of the world quickly seep into our lives. How often do we strive to attain the success of the world according to the means of the world? Here's the easiest test to find out if this is happening. Is there anything that is displacing the position of Christ in your life? Is there anything that is pushing Christ aside and becoming preeminent? Is there anything that you are saying, this, these arguments... These, these elemental spirits of the world, these philosophies, this is my goal. This is my formula. This is my success. Is there anything that falls in that category that's not Christ? Some Probably mo- many of you just started recently a reading through the Bible. Uh, many people start that in January. And if you did, you've, uh, if you're reading just straight through the Bible, you've been in Genesis. And there's a clear example of this problem within the first three chapters. What happened with Adam and Eve? What was the temptation? Less than Christ. No, I'm, I, we, we're going to do this our own way. And it's not doing it your way. It's doing it our way. This is how we can be like God. I, I can do this. I can take this fruit and eat it. I, in my own strength, can accomplish this. Apart from him, that's my way. And what did it lead to? Failure. Paul shows us that this formula should never be because of who he is and because of what he's done. Verse 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him Man, Paul really destroys that argument. You're going to do something apart from Christ? Do you not know what he's done? Do you not know who he is? Everything that you are, if you are in Christ, all of it was accomplished through him. It wasn't accomplished through you. You were dead. He's alive. Why would you fall to the things that are not according to Christ? The second formula that is the formula of adding to Christ. Mathematically, it's, it's this, Jesus plus. No, Jesus is good, but we need to do a little bit more in order to attain success. Look at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This formula is so hard for us to not slip into. It's the idea that we think that, that, okay, well, Jesus, he started a good work. But he who began a good work needs my help to, to finish it. And so I'm going to do all these other things. And, and let's be honest, they're plausible. Most of the things we add are good things. But they're in the wrong position. The position we put them in is that this is what's going to cause me to have success. Rather than seeing them as the things that point us to Christ who causes us to have success. When we trust in these things and we say, no, I'm going to do it. Who are we really trusting in? Us. Us. Paul says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. He's holding fast to all these other things, these more than. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. It's only in Christ See, neither one of these is going to work. We can't take away from Christ. We can't add to Christ and think that we are going to find success. These formulas are broken. We need a different formula. We need a better formula. What is the formula? It's just Jesus. It's not other things. It's not you. It's not taking away from Christ. It's not adding to Christ. It's just Jesus. Unfortunately, mathematically, there's not a symbol for just. So I made my own. See, the problem is that we think that it might be adding Christ to Christ or taking away from Christ, but it's neither. It's just Jesus. We don't add to him. We don't take away from him. It's just Jesus. That's my mathematical symbol for just Jesus. Why? Because of who he is and what he's done. We don't need to add to it. We can't take away from it. It's just Jesus. We cling only to Christ that we might grow in him and walk worthy of him in order that he might be preeminent now just jesus does not mean apathy of like ah, no it's done like it's just jesus so that relieves me from anything i don't know there's still a formula the formula is meant to lead to success and success as we've already defined is the preeminence of christ and so we come now to chapter three and in chapter three paul is going to hinge he's going to change direction and say this is what it looks like. When you your formula is just Jesus, when that is what you are striving after, these are the things that are going to happen. Looking at verses 1 through 4 if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the hinge. Look to Jesus. Set your mind on Christ. Seek the things of Christ. These are the things. This is the formula you need. And this is what it will produce. At times it's going to produce, it's going to look like taking away. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Now when we say just Jesus, we're not adding to Jesus, we're not taking away That doesn't mean we can say just Stephen. Just Stephen is not a formula that works. That's just Stephen is the minus Jesus or plus Jesus. That really is what those formulas mean. It means I'm trusting in myself. That's not what we're meant to do. For us, there will be things that we have to take away and there will be things that need to be added. This first paragraph Is all the things that need to be removed. These are the things that need to be taken away from Stephen. Put to death these things. Put them all away. Put off the old self. These are the things that need to be added. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see both elements? There are elements where we need to take away from ourselves. There are elements we need to add to ourselves. But all of it is according to just Jesus. And when we are adding and taking away, it will impact the relationships around us. Every relationship, when you are following the formula of just Jesus, every relationship is changed. Paul goes into some of those relationships in 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's going to require adding and subtracting. As is fitting in the Lord. He connects it to Jesus. Husbands, love your wives. Add that. And do not be harsh with them. Remove that. Children, obey your parents and everything. Kids, for you to do that, you're going to need to add and remove Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. How does Paul link everything in that list? Back to Jesus. Just Jesus. It all goes back to that formula. Paul then gives some further instructions when he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am imprisoned, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul has destroyed the wrong formulas. He's shown them, look, the mystery has been revealed. We already have the formula. Pray for me so that I can declare the mystery to the nations. Pray for me so that I can show the world this is the formula you need. And then he invites them to participate in that. Be gracious towards outsiders. We are going to encounter many who tell you, no, this is the formula for your success. We will encounter that even in our own church. People that are saying, no, this is the way for success. Be gracious. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, grace, and truth. Those two things are so hard to keep in balance. It is so easy to just land all on one side and think that we're being gracious, and, and but really we're being liberal. We're taking away from God and saying, no, I'm just demonstrating grace. But then on the other side, we can be harsh in, in just thinking we're only speaking truth, but we're not actually helping them. Grace and truth. Be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then we reach the conclusion. Paul encourages them because these Colossians don't have necessarily examples. There's other people who have come in and they're confused because people are saying, no, this is the formula. This is the formula. And now Paul gives them, here's all of these people that are following the same formula. Remember he said in chapter 1 that as it is in the whole world, the gospel is producing fruit. It's increasing. Paul's now going to give them examples. Look, here are all these other people, both Jews and Gentiles, who are following the same formula. Paul wants them to find success. Not a success according to their own definition, but real success. Success as defined by the creator, giver, sustainer, and redeemer of life. Success that fulfills the very purpose for which we were created. Success that is the position of Christ as preeminent. So what is the formula For success. It's Jesus. Just Jesus. We follow the formula of just just Jesus when we cling only to Christ. That we might grow in him and walk worthy of him. We're going to be tempted to follow other formulas. We're going to be tempted to take away from Christ, to seek other definitions of success, but those things will lead to failure. We're going to be tempted to add to Christ, to accomplish success through our own strength, our own man-made methods. But those two will lead to failure. There is only one formula for success. It's just Jesus. This message, like this letter, has really been for believers. But I recognize that it's likely that there are some of you here who desperately want to find success, but no formula has worked because you don't have a relationship Christ, If that's true for you, please don't leave that way. Come talk to me, talk to any of our members here, ask them about this. No formula is going to work. There's only one formula that truly leads to success. The only way for you to truly know success is by placing your faith in Christ alone because he died, he was buried, and he rose again, paying for our sins, making peace by the blood of his cross. But we must place our faith in him. That is the glorious mystery that has been revealed, that Christ can be in us. He is the formula for success. As the worship team comes up, cling only to Christ, that we might grow in him and walk worthy of him, in order that he might be our preeminent God.